Hey everyone, Preston Keller here. Welcome to the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. Man, I've been waiting a long time to get an episode like this put together. And it's just such a big question and intimidating topic. What do I do at the end of my message or lesson in our youth class or service when the Spirit of God begins to move? How do I pray with students? What if one of our students brings a first-time guest, a friend, and God begins to move in their life and tears run down their face and, and they proclaim that they would like to receive the Holy Ghost that, that we just taught or preached about? This can be intimidating, but it, it doesn't have to. And my good friends Landon Gore and Chris Green joined us on this episode to give us some practical and spiritual advice on how to operate altar calls in our youth services, how to pray with students, how to create an altar call culture in our youth services and a culture of prayer. And man, oh man, we we just hoped and prayed together as we recorded this, that this would impact your life, your youth teams, and your youth services. Let's dive right into this topic of altar calls and praying with students with Landon Gore and Chris Green. Welcome to the Rush Student Ministry Podcast, everyone. Today, I'm joined by two epic leaders and two uh, great friends of mine, and we're going to have a conversation on a very important and relevant uh, topic in youth ministry for youth pastors, and uh, we believe it's going to help you and impact your youth services. Uh, We've got Landon Gore and Chris Green with us today. They're both evangelists with the United Pentecostal Church International. They've traveled all over the world, preached the gospel to churches and conferences, and very relevant to our context here, they have preached to youth groups and youth camps and events and Today, we're talking about altar calls and how to pray for students and maybe even some more. Uh, Guys, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, Before we dive in, why don't you introduce yourselves to our audience and uh, tell them what you're up to in life and ministry. Go ahead, Landon. Well, uh, first of all, my my name is Landon Gore, as all of you know. And I'm very excited to be on this uh, episode with uh, Chris and Preston. And uh, I am a PK. I was um, born into the home of a uh, pastor and wife. And so um, I've been able to have a front row seat to just um, life and ministry throughout the years. And so um, now I travel and as an evangelist. And so um, it's been uh, amazing just to um, have another front row seat to the kingdom of God and what he is doing locally and uh, globally. And as we all know, uh, we're living in this uh, unique time known as COVID-19. Uh, and so uh, I, along with others, I'm just getting to really watch the church come together and rise up and face the different adjustments. And so um, it's just been a really uh, amazing uh, amazing ride uh, these last few years, and uh, I, I feel like I'm um, I, I feel like I'm just a very blessed individual. And on top of all of that, um, I get to eat Chick Fil A. So that's my life in a summary. <laughs> that's awesome, Chris. Awesome. My name is Chris Green, and I am born and raised in Austin, Texas. Um, I was raised in church but I was raised in uh, a church that had left the United Pentecostal church uh, pastored by my grandfather and uh, then later taken over by my own father and came into Pentecost when I was about 16 years old and uh, discovered this great apostolic truth uh, at a young age, 16 years old. And, and uh, I ended up, uh, I went to college, played baseball in college and then the Lord called me to ministry. And from there, I went to Urshan Graduate School of Theology to, to get my master's degree there. And um, from there, the Lord called me to evangelism. And so I've been evangelizing since 2012. I'm 32 now. 
married to a beautiful wife, Danielle, and uh, we have an amazing son, three-year-old Levi, and we travel full-time together, and we've been quarantined in uh, Oregon. My wife is from Portland, Oregon. Her dad pastors in the suburb of Portland, Beaverton, Oregon, and we've been here since March, traveled out a few times, um, but God has blessed us, and uh, we are thankful um, for his provision. The, the thing that we keep going back to over and over is God's peace that passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense that we feel so much peace because there's so much chaos and uncertainty going on right now, but yet we, we feel this peace that literally passes our, our ability to understand. And uh, we're thankful for God's provision and God's grace in this season. But it's a blessing to be with all of you today. So awesome, man. And uh, yeah, you bring up Levi. Just about every time I go through the airport, I'm jealous that I don't have a scooter to get around <laughs> the airport like Levi does. Yeah, man. He scoots around. We used to have to drag him along in a stroller. And then when he didn't want to ride in the stroller anymore, you know, he was always lagging behind trying to walk with his little legs. And so I got him that scooter for the sole purpose of getting him through the airport quicker. And now we're chasing after him to the airport and, <laughs> and uh, it's fun though. He, he has a good time on it. That's so awesome. Well, let's dive into our topic uh, today. We're talking altar calls, how to pray with students. Uh, we, I guarantee we're going to be practical and spiritual today. So uh, on that note, um, let's just uh, start off on the culture of, of, having altar calls in youth services. We might have some leaders that are intimidated um, by that part of uh, their youth nights or, or classes or whatever it might be, what to do when their lessons wrapping up, things like that. So let's just start off. What are some practical and spiritual tips for creating a powerful altar call culture uh, in our youth services locally? Um, I'll just say something short. I know Landon's got something great to say, but I would, my first piece of advice um, for creating that atmosphere in a youth service is um, have an altar call every time. Have an altar call every single service. Um, I interned at Brother Trimble's church in St. Louis when I was at Urshan Graduate School and Anthony Trimble at the time was the youth pastor and, and they had such a dynamic youth service. Every time they came together, it was so dynamic. And I remember asking him, I thought, man, what, what is it? What is one of the things? And one of the, one of the main things he went back to is, is that every single time they're together, they have an opportunity for people to respond to the presence, the spirit and the word of God. And I've talked to in our travels, I've talked to some youth pastors and, and they've said, well, we don't always do an altar call because we don't want to burn them out, you know? And, and I understand that, you know, like I've talked to a couple of guys and they said, well, there's, you know, there's sometimes we don't have to have an altar call because it was just, you know, more of a practical lesson, you know, on finances or whatever it was, you know? Um, and I, I tell them, you know, you've got to give them an open door to respond to the word of God, whether you're just teaching them on how to save your save up your your money that you make, you know, from doing your chores or or, you know, how to pass how to pass the sixth grade, you know, whatever it is, whatever the, the lesson is, whatever the word is, they have to have an opportunity to respond to it. And my my perspective is um you open the door and they choose whether or not to walk through that door. Um, you let them make the decision not to have an altar call. If they don't want to pray, they don't want to pray, but give them the open door to come and pray. So that first, that first piece of advice that's so simple and so practical is always open the door, no matter what you talk about, teach, preach, whatever. It doesn't matter the topic. Uh, direct them to the cross, open the door to the cross, open the door to an altar where they can pray because you don't know what that teenager is going through. That may be the service that they're just so hungry and almost spiritually salivating for prayer in the altar, desperate. They, I remember as a teenager coming so desperate 
um, to a, a youth service and thinking, I don't care what they speak about today. I don't care. I just need that altar. I need that time. There's so much, uh, there's less and less prayer at home. There's less and less prayer in school. We need more and more prayer in church. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I totally concur um, with Chris and just having that pattern of, of consistency because um, I think I think it starts on placing value on prayer in general. And so I think the more prayer, the more value that we place on prayer in church, um, that will segue into the more value that we place in prayer in the home and vice versa. And I think both will strengthen each other. And so um, one, one thing that came to mind is uh, pre-service prayer. Um, I've always been of the opinion that um, service starts when prayer starts. And I've been in many, um, I've been in many uh, contexts and in many services where we have a dynamic opening. Um, we have the five-minute intro, and we have the lights. We we have the the kickoff um, lick of the guitar and the music, and and that's all amazing and great. Um, but I I really think that the moment that young person is engaging you through text messaging or Instagram DMs in the day, the moment you're reaching out and encourage them, the, the moment they're stepping onto that parking lot of, of your student center, the moment that they're walking into the foyer, that's the beginning of the altar call. Every single moment is leading up to worship, is leading up to your message. And at the end, when they get to respond, that that is the act, that is the altar response but that altar call is is going forth throughout the day when you're reaching out to them, encouraging them. That altar call is going forth uh, from the moment that they come onto your campus. And I think pre-service prayer is is a great way to to um, to break up the dry ground, to break up the monotony, to to remove some of some of the some of the distractions, and to uh, begin to in, engage. Um, to begin to engage in the spirit and to allow um, the worship and the word to have um, so much more effect so that when the time does come at the end of the service, so much has already been leveraged and so much has already been done. Again, as Chris said, to um, give them um, that opportunity. And so I think anything that we can do creatively, um, practically, whether it's, um, dimming the lights, um, whether it's having an altar team in place to be intentional, to pray with others, um, whether it's uh, making sure that uh, the, the, the music um, doesn't overpower the moment, um, whether it's making sure that we try to put away our, our phones and any distractions, uh, placing placing value on it is is going to exude to your team members and it's also going to exude to those that are there. And I think if we place value on it, um, I think they will too. Man, excellent responses already. It's so, so, so helpful. Um, let's let's talk to the youth pastor. That is, um, it is intimidating for them uh, to, at the end of their youth night, the end of their lesson, to pray for students when they do open up that altar setting. So um, what can they do, um, again, practically and spiritually in their own lives and preparation? Um, how do I pray for students in our youth services? Go ahead. Do you have something, Landon? Um, I, I would, you know, I would, I would just say um, ask, asking is – is something that's so vital and important. I think sometimes um, it's a a spiritual card when you can walk up to someone and just palm them and and begin to um, speak to them um, everything about their life that that nobody knows. And I think that there is a time and place for that. We we need that. We we've, we've got to have um, the ability to tap into spiritual discernment and. Uh, really have the Lord, I believe, um, show us what is taking place in that young person's life because we're a, we're a co-laborer with Him. We're, we cannot do it without His presence, without His Spirit. Um, but at the same time, in a very very practical sense, um, 
I can I can look back at different moments where I stepped to somebody feeling like I knew what they needed or feeling like I knew what they were even praying for or going through. And when I just simply asked a a a whole nother door of opportunity um, opened. And so I find that that's what Jesus would do. He would many times when when the need was so blatant and obvious, he would still ask them, what did they want? And so um, simply asking um, can can be a, a gateway if we're not really for sure. But even if we are discerning, even if we do feel some promptings, I think asking also confirms what they want and where their level of faith is. And I think in ministry, we all know that um, there's many times that we have seen what somebody needs. We, we um, see what, where they need to go in the spirit. But when we've tried to pray with them, we've realized that perhaps we want something more than they want it. And while we should want that for them, we are, we are the leader in that context. We've got to bring them to that place. And so I can't tell you, and I'm sure Chris has some same stories of, of how many times, even as an evangelist working in an altar and someone pulling you uh, to someone who, who has um, a health issue or some type of deed, or maybe they're tra- travailing and, and they think they know what that person needs. And they're, they're asking uh, us, Hey, come pray for this person to receive the spirit or, Hey, they want healing or this, this, this. And then to actually talk to that individual and realize that that's not what they want at all. They want something in, entirely different, or perhaps their their faith is just not quite there for anything. And so, I think um, I don't think it's a sign of spiritual weakness or a lack of spiritual authority to simply ask someone um, what they need, what they want God to do. And so, like I said, without being repetitive, I think if we are questioning, um, that helps. But even if we feel like we know exactly and we have discerned. Um, it gives that person the opportunity to utilize their faith by vocalizing to you what they want God to do. It's mm. awesome. Um, this this uh, kind of goes back to the first question as well, but uh, in what Landon had to say in, in regards to the first question of building that atmosphere and creating that culture. Um, if you have all first generational young people, which we need more first generational young people, um, and they've never even been to church or much less an apostolic church, they may not understand the doctrine of laying upon of hands and, and the altar call. And so you have to build that culture. Um, I went to my brother. My brother used to be the youth pastor at a church that was once in the United Pentecostal church. And they basically, the church left the United Pentecostal church backslid and became a charismatic church. And I uh, was reaching for my brother. You know, God was using me as a bridge to reach for my brother as this church was going in the wrong direction. And so I went to one of their youth services. Their, Their church, of course, just blew up uh, in terms of church attendance, the crowd size blew up, you know, to 1500 people. The youth group was 300 people. And my brother was doing great as far as getting people there, the crowd, building a crowd, you know, but um, he wasn't building the right culture. And so I went to support him and to continue to reach for him. And he was preaching that night. And when they started the service, the youth service, they had the beautiful youth sanctuary, 300 kids in their, their church youth group. They started the service by playing rap music by Post Malone. And I didn't know who that was at the time, but I shazammed it on my phone and it said Post Malone. And I started reading the lyrics and I was like, what in the world? He was cussing and talking about sex, drugs, and alcohol. And that's what they started their service with. And then they went from that, uh, they got a little bit more spiritual. They played Katy Perry and uh, thankfully she wasn't cussing, um, but she was still singing about, you know, ungodly stuff. And regardless of the words, uh, it, was, it was the intent of the person, the, the, the spirit of the person that was allowed to sort of lead the opening of that service. And the kids were going crazy. I mean, they were jumping and shouting. I mean, it was like a nightclub, you know, and dancing and they got their attention and they got their excitement. And then the worship leader gets up there and tries to sing reckless love. And all the kids are just sitting down like what, you know, 
And God was not anywhere close to that sanctuary or that service. And um, my brother got up there and preached, did a great job. And he had told me beforehand, he said, look, I want you to come work the altars. He's been to some of our Pentecostal services and seen how we have church and how we lay on, lay upon hands, you know, on the sick and those to receive the Holy Ghost. And none of those kids had the Holy Ghost. And um, in fact, none of the youth team had the Holy Ghost. And so he told me, he said, when I open the altars, I want you there as an altar worker. I was like, you, you better believe it. You know, I was, I felt like Moses in Egypt, you know, about, about to overthrow the government. They're about to pray everybody through to the Holy Ghost, you know, and, and I was standing at the altar and when he gave the altar call and out of 300 kids, there was about three of them that actually came to the altar and it was three girls and they went to the side to pray with, you know, some ladies and so I'm standing there just looking at a bunch of kids like shell shock, don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond to, to the word of God. They don't know how to respond to the spirit of God. They don't, they don't know anything. They're thinking probably put, you know, Post Malone back on so we can dance and, and whatever. And I had this righteous indignation rise up in me. I'm going to tell you what I did wrong. I thought I was doing right. I'm thinking, man, I forget them coming to the altar. I'm going to go to them and... I started marching the pews, literally standing on top of pews in this, you know, in this congregation. And I was just going from kid to kid, do you have the Holy Ghost? And the kid just looked at me like wide eyed and scared, you know, jaw dropped, like what? The Holy what? I said, do you have the Holy Ghost? He's like, uh, I, I think so. I said, speaking in other tongues? He said, speaking in what? I said, lift your hands. And I'm thinking, I'm gonna pray this kid through the Holy Ghost. Lay my hand on him and I'm praying. And I look up and like, all the kids are just staring at me, just like, what is going on? And I had it in my mind, like, this is a former Pentecostal church that's backslidden and walked away. But me, I'm going to save the day. Like, I'm going to, you know, just turn this place upside down. But I couldn't do it because there was no faith there. There was no understanding there. Um, you, you compare that to a, a crusade overseas uh, I believe, yeah, Landon was there. In fact, he was my roommate in Bangladesh. And I remember being there and there was 10,000 people consisting of Muslim and Buddhist and, and witch doctors and everything else. And they, their faith was not in our God. They didn't have the same God uh, that they didn't serve the same God that we serve. Yet there was, there was faith. There was faith, although their faith was misplaced their faith was sort of misappropriated. There was still faith. And when we began to pray for these people in Bangladesh, they were already, they were ready for us to lay hands on them. They, they understood prayer. They, they went to church religiously almost more than we do as Pentecosts, even though they went to mosques and they went to Buddhist temples and they did other things. There was already a culture of prayer uh, in their culture, in their society. So we could go and just start laying hands. And we had thousands of people filled with the Holy Ghost, thousands of people um, healed of, of different diseases, blinded eyes and deaf ears and all sorts of things. And the difference was, was the culture of faith. In the first example I gave, there was no culture of faith, uh, not to mention they allowed worldly artists and superstars to try to lead, you know, the service. Uh, I went out to eat afterwards with my brother and he was literally in tears and he said, man, I just so torn up. I'm so convicted. Why won't the young people respond to God? Why won't the young people come to the altar? And I told him, I said, you will never have an upper room experience without an upper room mentality. The upper room mentality was we're going to pray. We're going to fast. They were in one mind in one place. They had been praying and fasting for days. They weren't listening to Katy Perry and Post Malone or whoever the, you know, Roman superstar was of that day. They were praying and fasting, separating themselves. That's what the scripture says in Joshua. It says, sanctify yourselves for three days for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. We've got to separate ourselves. We've got to sanctify ourselves, set ourselves apart with prayer and with fasting. And we've got to build that culture of faith. And then we can't, 
we can't come and, and not build that culture of faith and not build that momentum and velocity of response to the altar and then expect God to just do this big bang and this kaboom, you know, demonstration of the Holy Ghost. We've got to build that culture uh, in our walk with God. Again, through prayer and fasting and consecration, we can't entertain the world in our individual secret life and, and, and be on Netflix all day and social media all day and, and then read a, just enough scripture to be able to preach a sermon and pray just enough to not feel convicted while we're standing in the pulpit and then go up there and expect the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. We have got to set ourselves apart as leaders. You can't just lead from the pulpit. You've got to lead in prayer. You've got to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You've got to deny yourself and take up the cross daily. If you don't have, I, I say it all the time, and I'm not trying to just be preachy and uh, use whatever fancy sayings, but you sure. cannot shout with a voice of triumph if you don't walk with a heart of submission. The shout at the walls of Jericho would have done nothing if they had not walked for seven days and previously walked for 40 years in the wilderness. You cannot shout with a voice of triumph without a walk, without a heart of submission, walking with a heart of submission. And as leaders, we have got to walk with a heart of submission, of radical submission, radical sacrifice, radical commitment and consecration. Mm -hmm. We have got to live a life of devotion unto God, build that culture of faith, show them how it's done, and then use some of the things that Brother Landon just said. When you go to them, it's not a lack of faith. In fact, it takes boldness to walk up to somebody and say, I say this almost every service, every altar call. I will ask somebody, what can I pray for you about? Is there something specific you want from God? I want to, and no matter what they say, healing, direction, deliverance, whatever, I will always revert it back to the Holy Ghost. I will say, okay, let me ask you a question. Have you received the gift of the Holy Ghost? And have you had the evidence of speaking in other tongues? And if not, I will tell them your answer of direction, deliverance, healing, whatever it is you need can be found by receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So let's pray for the Holy Ghost right now and lift up your hands and tell them with faith, I'm going to lay hands upon you and I'm going to pray for you. And when we begin to rejoice and worship and praise God, God is going to fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. You're going to begin to speak in other tongues. And through the infilling of the Holy Ghost, God is going to give you the direction that you've been looking for, or he's going to help you. He's going to give you deliverance. He's going to save you from your sin. Whatever it is that they're praying for, I revert it back to the gift of the Holy Ghost. But we've got to build that culture in our own individual life through a walk of consecration. We've got to exemplify that culture to them, like Landon was talking about. When we get to church, we've got to build that atmosphere. Don't expect God or angels to show up and build the atmosphere. We build the atmosphere, and then we take advantage of that atmosphere and go forward by faith with boldness. Amen. So good. So good. So good. And there's, there's so much there and, and we're going to uh, step into talking about the Holy ghost here. Um, but something I've already said on our podcast and I'll continue to say, and it's a mantra uh, for lack of a better word in our local youth staff here. And that's no starving bakers. Hmm. What, what good is a, is a baker making bread for everyone if they never take time to feed themselves. Right. And so, uh, and, and one of the most difficult people to lead for leaders is themselves, right? So that's, that's so good. Um, you've got to have that level of faith uh, in your own life and that walk with God uh, before you can create um, a faith culture in your youth group. That's so good, guys. Um, this, uh, this next scenario happens so much, uh, so often. And whether it be, it would typically be one of our students brings a friend from school and uh, you've had a great youth service. God's been moving, comes time for the altar call. And, uh, and you see that they've, they've got a tear running down their face. They've never, maybe they've never been in a church service before. You were talking about the Holy Ghost in your sermon and you go up to them and they say, I would like to receive the Holy Ghost. Um, that moment right there. Uh, for a local youth pastor, I've used this word already in this episode, can be intimidating. So what do you do in that moment 
when you don't have Chris Green or Landon Gore there as a guest evangelist to help in the altar, um, you have a student that you, it, they're a guest, first time guest maybe, you don't, you haven't known them in the church since they were five years old and have this relationship. Um, what do you, what, what can our youth pastors do? Any, any tips? How do you, how do you go from that moment when they say, I'd like to receive the Holy Ghost and help them in that process? Um, I'll just say this, and, and I know um, I know Chris can speak to this um, as well from his longtime experience. Um, I think the name of the game when it comes to um, praying with someone one-on-one is uh, being instructional. Um, it can be so easy to have that Friday night youth rally context where multiple people are shouting and worshiping and and god's spirit is is falling and 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 people are just overwhelmed by uh, the inertia of the spirit and 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 that's a powerful um that's a powerful way that god moves um but then there comes that moment as you just brought up where it's just you and them and of course obviously the more and more that altar um culture is is built in a in a service um the, the the more faith of those that are around you that you're going to be able to build upon it and and use as a catalyst and and the more um that that individual person is going to be able to feel from the others that are worshiping and praying um but at the end of the day you're going to still have to be one-on-one with them and so um again i think it can be so intimidating because it's it's um, you know, either I, I just come alongside them and I place my hand on them and, and we pray and there's just this awkward, you know, you're praying, but they're not praying. Or maybe you both begin to pray, but it's, it's not really going anywhere. And so, again, um, just because something is spiritual does not mean it is always automatic. It is no less spiritual to stop someone from praying to get their name and just to begin to look them in the eye, make a personal connection and begin to talk to them, begin to tell them what they are, they are feeling. If, if, if I'm walking up to someone who, who, who has tears running down their face, I know this is one of their first times here. They have no prior context. They have no idea. I want to ask them, what, what is your name? Ben, Ben, it's so good to meet you, man. I'm so honored and so glad that you're here. I know it's not an accident that God brought you here tonight. Have you ever felt what you're feeling before? Uh, yeah, one time when I was younger, perhaps it's a no. I'm going to begin to explain to them what is happening. Ben, you are feeling the presence of God. You are feeling the love of God. It's supernatural. That's why it's so overwhelming. That's why you don't, you don't fully even understand what's going on. And all of a sudden, I am breaking down those walls of intimidation. I'm breaking down those walls of, of misunderstanding, of, of fear. And all of a sudden, a, a, a moment that Ben is about to shut down because he has no idea what is going on is now becoming, as has been said, a door of opportunity by cluing him in on what is taking place. And so that's going to, that's going to um, segue into um, asking Ben, what do you want God to do tonight? Have, have you ever have you ever um, experienced the gift of the Holy Ghost? Are, are you aware of what that is? And so we're we're going to assume that the question is uh, that the answer is no. And so uh, I'm going to I'm going to use very plain but intentional language to let Ben know that the Spirit of God is simply what you're feeling around you on the inside of you. And just like in the book of Acts, when God fills you with his presence, you are going to you are going to feel that in your heart. You're going to feel that want to overflow out of your mouth. As you begin to worship the Lord, you're going to want to speak another language. You're, you're going to want to speak a different sound than you've been taught or that, that you know. And and Ben, you have a decision. You you can you can be afraid, you can hold it all in, or you can speak it out. And when you speak that out, you're going to release the power of God. And so I'm taking an experience that all of us are so familiar with, that is so common to us, but I am being instructional. I'm, I'm breaking it down. I'm not, I'm not turning the, the Holy Ghost into this manufacturing process, but 
we have to we have to break it down we have to make it simple we have we have to clue people in on on what sometimes we take for granted on uh for what we take for granted because again we we've been in this service after service rally after rally general conference after general conference if, if we're a leader we, we we are so familiar with what the presence of god feels like but often um that person uh, uh is not and so they're just they're just feeling this love and this this power and and they just simply don't know um, what to do. And so oftentimes when, when you just begin to talk to someone, you begin to break it down, you begin to relate. I have found that those walls begin to fall. And so when you begin to ask that person, Ben, would you be open to this? Are you, are you, would you, would you like to have this? Yes, I would. Then you know what, Ben, this is what we're going to do. It's not complicated. It's, it's not hard. It's not going to take all night. This is what we're going to do. We're just going to ask the Lord to forgive us. And we're going to just clear our hearts, clear our minds. And after we ask the Lord to forgive us, Ben, and, and I'm making it about us. This is not him by himself. Mm. I'm making it about us, Ben. We're just going to lift our hands. We're going to lift up our voice. We're going we're gonna to remove every distraction. And then we're going to begin to worship the Lord out loud. We're going to begin to praise. What, what does that sound like? You know what that is, Ben? God, I love you. God, I worship you. God, I praise you. And as you begin to worship him, you're going to begin to feel him more and more. And so when we have went through that process of repentance, then I'm, I'm looking to, as Chris said, to build that faith. I'm, I'm looking for him to raise his hands. I'm looking for him to begin to focus his attention on God. I'm, I'm looking for him to open up his mouth. And so this is where it gets going good, right? And then all of a sudden, the worst of our fears uh, come into reality. All of a sudden, they... They, they lift their hands a little bit and, and, and maybe they don't really pray out loud or, or something goes wrong. And so it's in that moment that, again, that intimidation comes in and we can abort the mission, we can bail, or we can take a deep breath and realize I'm going to adjust to where they are. And so I, I, I'm not going to say that God can't fill them with his spirit. I, I'm not going to give up on them. I, I'm not going to say oh, w- w- what's wrong and, and go home. No, I'm going to meet them where they are. And so um, many times, perhaps we run into someone who who they begin to ask God to forgive them, but then it begins to move into condemnation and, and this rut of, of twisting God's arm. We have to adjust. We have to pivot and say, Ben, I want you to realize God hears your prayers. God, 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 God sees where you are. He wants to forgive you. You don't, you don't have to beg God. He is, he is rich in mercy. He is faithful to forgive. We, we have to take that, that spiritual, um, uh, decisiveness because again, we're, we're dealing with someone that is following our lead. And so, so it is someone uh, may may ask God to forgive them, but when it comes time to really begin to worship and praise, all of a sudden their 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 head is down and and they're praying under their their breath. We've got to meet them where they are and bring them higher. Ben, I'm so proud of you. God has moved on you. You've already taken great steps of faith. Now this is what I want us to do. I want us just to stretch a little further. I want us I want us just to lift up our head. I want us to to move into a posture of expectation. And so you are literally leading them and you are guiding them you're you're not just walking up and 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 palming someone and and just leaving them to just um <laughs> to, to the river of the spirit no you are you are guiding them to how they need to respond so we're not manipulating god we're not we're not manipulating his spirit but we are simply guiding someone in their response to that spirit and so it is all of a sudden uh you know they're, they're they're now at that moment where they're worshiping god they're, they're feeling the presence of god and i often tell people that are praying in the altar this while you are praying with them this is about them this is not a time for you respectfully to close your eyes and and get into intercession and and and, and become clueless no you're watching them you're 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 detecting their every move you're discerning those steps that they're taking you're you're encouraging them letting them know that's it you're, you're doing so good this this is this is what it's about that's that's what i was saying you are their coach and so all of a sudden you come to the moment where 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 they are feeling the presence of God, and, and many times I'll um, I'll stop somebody, and it's just been my experience that um, you know sometimes we had that fear of of stopping someone. We we feel like that the the Spirit of God builds up all this momentum, and the moment that we stop them, we lose all momentum. I, 
I, I have found in, in my personal experience that that when you stop someone and you let them know what they have done right, you are literally putting building blocks into place for what God is going to do next. And so do I believe in that moment? Uh, does Chris believe in it? Do you believe in it? I, I believe we all believe in that moment of walking to someone and, and them tapping into the spirit just like that. And you literally can just say, Ben, James, Savannah, Brooklyn, lift your hands. God wants to fill you with the spirit and you lay hands on them. And just like that, they receive God's spirit. But I also believe in being able to talk to someone, lead them through the steps, guide them. And God's spirit can be just as powerful walking through, walking someone through that journey, so to speak. And so many times I've found success in stopping someone. And so in this scenario, I, I would stop Ben and say, Ben, what are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling the presence of God. Ben, did you notice you're feeling the presence of God a little bit more than you were a moment ago? You, you, you know what? Yeah. Ben, that's because the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. The more you are reaching out to him, the more he is reaching out to you. So, Ben, you know what we're going to do? We're going to stretch our faith just a little bit more. We're getting ready to lift our hands a little higher. We're getting ready to lift up our head. And then I'm getting ready to lay my hands on you. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to we're going to exercise our faith. When I lay my hands on you, Ben, we're going to shout the name of Jesus. And you know what I believe, Ben? When I shout the name of Jesus, when you shout the name of Jesus, God's spirit that you've already been feeling around you is going to flow on the inside of you. And it is going to want to overflow outside of you. It's going to want to overflow from your innermost being. It's going to want to flow through your mouth. And Ben, we have a decision to make. We can open our eyes. We can shut it all down. Or Ben, we can do what we've already been doing. We can just yield to God's spirit. And so many times, as you've seen, as Chris seen, as as, as staff uh, has seen in the altar, you, you get them to that moment, you lay your hands on them, and all of a sudden, God begins to fill them with his spirit. And it's so it's not complex. It's, 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 it's not hard. And in that moment, should they not tap in yet? I, I've seen some come to that moment and, and you can tell they want to let it out and they don't. It's not the end of the world. You pivot, you adjust, you 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 build on what they've done. Ben, could you feel that? Yeah. Could, could you feel your tongue wanting to move just a little bit? You know, I, I, yeah, I did. Ben, you were a little nervous about letting it go and, and yielding. Yeah, I was Ben. That's okay. That's all right. You're doing so good. I'm proud of you, man. This is new for you. We're going to pray again. And this time we're, we're just going to yield and boom, they receive it. So more than the exact verbiage I've said, more than, than, than repeating any words that I've, that I've just recited. I think again, the name of the game is being intentional and being instructional and, and not being, uh, not being afraid to, to walk someone through that journey. And I can say when you've done that to just one person, it is addicting. And, and I'll just say um, this. Um, I, I remember I remember being that PK that had grown up in church. I remember answering a call to preach. And I remember being so awkward in the altar. I remember coming to that realiza realization. I've never prayed someone through to God's spirit. I, I, I don't even know. If I want to walk up to someone and talk to them, and I, I remember making up in my mind, I want to change that. I want God to be able to, to use me. And so walking with God is amazing and traveling and ministering and preaching and teaching and operating in the gifts. It's, it's amazing. But if I could take it, um, if I could take it to just one thing, if I had to choose, it would be that ministry of an altar worker. So to anybody who would hear this and say, it's not my personality, it's not my gifting, I'm intimidated, I could never do that. I, I just have to throw out, I was never born an altar worker. I, I was not uh, born an evangelist. I, I was not, um, I, I was the awkward kid that wish I could have had a podcast like this to jump on and I would have been the one taking notes and being in a service saying, you know what? I don't want anyone to know this but I am absolutely embarrassed to do this. I don't know how to do this. I'm awkward, but I'm going to push through. And when you push through, it's utterly, insanely addicting. Because when you see 
someone walk through that journey and you're able to be a co-laborer with God and help them along that process, there's nothing like it. Man, so good. Uh, a great painted picture that's so relevant. I, that's going to help a lot of our leaders. Uh, Chris, any thoughts on that? Man, he covered it all. That was awesome. I was awesome. want to take notes myself. <laughs> uh, I think the four words that summarize what he said was um, being intentional, being instructional, being bold, and being encouraging. Um, just keep on encouraging whether they receive it or not. And, and it's funny because I see a lot of people receive the Holy Ghost and there's this awkward, like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And it's like everybody spreads out, you know, and they just leave this new convert by themselves. Yeah. And now they're standing there like, what just happened? What just... We need to like literally swarm them, you know, with love yeah. and uh, encouragement. And then the same goes for those who don't receive the Holy Ghost. I tell a lot of people who were close to receiving the Holy Ghost, I'll tell them, you are closer to God right now than you've ever been before. That yeah. should excite you and encourage you. That's so good. Absolutely. Yeah. Swarm them with love. They receive it or if they don't, that's so good. Um, so our listeners have taken notes up to this point. They have um, created an, an, uh, an atmosphere, a culture of altar calls. Let's talk about the youth pastor that's got a couple of youth staff members, um, and they want to train them to help. So it's not just the youth pastor and the altar call alone. Uh, what are some practical ways that we can uh, that we can talk to our youth staff and, and help them become uh, effective altar workers as well? Um, I would say exposure and experience for me, at least exposure, experience, and then you have education, you know, but exposure and experience for me, because that's the kind of learner I am when I'm exposed to something. Um, I went skydiving this year back in February and uh, it was like a spur of the moment thing. My brother bought me a skydiving <laughs> ticket or whatever. And, and Humble brand. I, I was never <laughs> once been scared of skydiving until like the ticket was purchased in that week leading up to it. I was just having dreams of, you know, the worst happening. And, <laughs> and, uh, what's funny is that as we got closer, we were like a mile away and I could see people parachuting down and my brother and I are opposites. So as I literally, I saw people, you know, parachuting down, all the fear just went away because that exposure to it just immediately made me feel like, oh, it's easy. If they can do it, I can do it. My brother, on the other hand, he was like freaked out by <laughs> the exposure to that and it scared him more. But I've always felt like if I can see somebody do it, I can do it. Why not? Um, they're human beings. And so, so am I, you know, Elijah, the scripture says, was a man of like passions but he prayed and the scripture says, and he prayed again. And so I think if Elijah could do it, he was a man of like passions. Why can't I do it? So exposure and experience and there's education, you need the education of it. But um, I feel like the education is good, but um, there comes a point where you have to step out of what your brain can understand because it's unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all he, we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, not according to the education that's in us. We need education. I went to college for eight years, but, but we need faith. We need faith to see the demonstration of God. Um, and so you need to expose your team. And I, I, if I was a youth pastor today, I would be calling missionaries or whoever you know I could get a hold of I'd be calling missionaries and saying, hey, I want to bring my youth team to a crusade. How can we get there? What can we do to get to a crusade? My youth team wants to pray people through to the Holy Ghost. Landon and I both have been on many crusades. And, and for the crusades that we've been a part of, there's usually three days. Well, let me stop. There's usually um, like a month of training via a conference call 
we will do once a week um, conference calls leading up to the crusade. Then when we get there, we get there early and do two or three days of training and teaching people how to pray and how to lay hands on the sick and, and so forth wow. and building that faith so that when we step on the crusade ground, we're not a bunch of rookies and amateurs thinking, oh man, what do I do? You know, We are literally a band of brothers and sisters, a unified body of Christ with a vision, a goal, an education, experience, exposure, all there, you know, ready to go and ready to activate what we have been taught. Mm. And, and so it's so amazing to go to these crusades and see people I'm talking middle-aged pastors and pastor's wives who have never laid hands on somebody to receive the Holy Ghost and see them filled, go out for the first time on, the, on, on foreign soil and just do, 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 do. I mean, like a machine gun praying people through to the Holy Ghost. Do, 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 do. And they come back and they're like, I just prayed 25 people through to the Holy Ghost. Like what in the world? And there's so many things that go into that. Um, uh, the teaching, the training, the exposure, but the faith that they have because they're not confined by the limitations of their peers' perspective of them. They're out on a foreign soil where there is no limitation. They can literally step into the role of a prophet or step into the role of an evangelist or step into the role of you know a, a man or woman of God full of the gift of faith not confined by their peers' perspective of them. They can just go out and just try it. And you see the difference, uh, the thing that separated Simon Peter from everybody else is that Peter was willing to get out of the boat. He was willing to fail. He failed out of the boat. But with that failure, he also succeeded. And that's what separated him from everybody else in that boat is he was willing to fail. Yes, there was insecurity there, but he didn't let his insecurity become sin. See, all of us have, okay, I'm going to get into this and then I'm going to be done. But I felt like the Lord gave me this this morning in prayer for this specific discussion. All of you, including myself and Landon and, and, and everybody, has insecurity. Um, but insecurity begins as a feeling or an emotion. And at that state, I don't believe that insecurity is a sin. But it's when insecurity becomes manifest. It's when it takes fruition, you know, and it, and it produces fruit, that's when insecurity becomes sin. Let me say it like this. Insecurity becomes sin when it keeps you from the will of God. It, there's nothing wrong with, with, with Moses for a moment having that feeling of like, man, how can I go to Egypt and do this? What became sin is when he wouldn't do what God called him to do. He called him to preach and he would not preach. He had to bring in Aaron to preach. Moses would not preach until they got to the Red Sea. After 10 plagues, finally Moses said, okay, I'll start preaching. He preaches his first sermon and the Red Sea's divided. They march through on dry ground. And it's like God saying, if you would have preached from the beginning, this, this whole process would have been a lot easier. In other words, if you would have done what you were called to do, this process would have been a lot easier. Mm. And that's the same for, the, for all of us. If we'll just step into what God has called us to do, it'll be a whole lot easier. God will make a way where there seems to be no way when we will step in to the calling that God has given us. I, now, this is my own theory on this, that even Jesus was a bit insecure. Jesus showed a bit of insecurity in Matthew 23 in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Father, if there's any way let this cup pass from me. I'm not sure if I can drink this cup. I'm not sure if I can do what this cup is going to require of me. But he didn't let that insecurity keep him from his purpose. He said, I have it right here, Matthew 26, 39 and 42. He said, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Verse 42, he said, my father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, Thy will be done. Apply that to this context. Man, I don't know if I can lay hands on somebody. I don't know if I can train my, my team to lay hands on people. But God, nevertheless, thy will be done. Let me go ahead and let you know something. It's the will of God that you be used to lay hands on the sick and lay hands on those who haven't received the Holy Ghost. Okay? Mm -hmm. Jesus said, the signs will follow them that believe. 
in my name. They will speak in new tongues. He says, they will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I didn't pray someone through to the Holy Ghost for the first two and a half years of my full-time evangelistic ministry because I was convinced I was not good enough. I had a preacher who, if I said his name, every one of you would know who he was. He gave me good advice, but it was not God advice. He said, Chris, he said, Tr stop trying to be something that you're not. He said, you're not a harvester and stop trying to be a harvester. And I understand his intention. His intention was to encourage me. But the problem was, is that we can all be a harvester, whatever that even means. We can all lay hands on people, speak the word of faith. If you have the gift of the Holy Ghost and there's someone with you that needs the gift of the Holy Ghost, you can be used of the spirit that is in you. Jesus right. said the signs will follow them that believe. And I'll never forget the very first time that we saw people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost was in Australia. My wife and I had been married for just a couple of weeks and a college student, first time visitor was standing there and literally he had been praying for almost an hour at the altar trying to receive the Holy Ghost. Everybody in the church laid hands on him but me because I was convinced, well, I'm not a harvester. I can't see him filled with the Holy Ghost. All I can do is build faith. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, uh, he said, you are just a vessel. You don't decide who gets the Holy Ghost. You don't decide how they get the Holy Ghost. You are a vessel. Do what I've called you to do. So I walked up to that college student and I asked the question, do you want the Holy Ghost? And he's like, yeah, I've been praying for an hour. You know, I want the Holy Ghost. I said, then lift up your hands. And when I lay my hand on your head, you're going to receive the Holy Ghost. And I laid my hand on him. And just like that, he started speaking in other tongues. I went back to my hotel room that night. I cried and cried and cried. I repented and I said, God, forgive me of not believing. See, that is our problem is we don't truly believe. He said, the believers will lay hands on the sick. If you're not laying hands on the sick and laying hands on the lost, then you are not a true believer. You need to be a believer, not in yourself. He never said, believe in yourself. He said, believe in me. Hebrews 11 and 6 says that. Hebrews 11 and 6 says that if you, if you are one who comes to God, it says you must believe that he is. You don't have to believe that you are anything. You just have to believe that he is. Understand that you're the vessel, but understand that he's the one that fills the vessel. That yes. same, back to that story in Australia. That night when I prayed, I remember the Lord instructed me two things. And I'll quit with this. He said, Chris, he said, if you will believe, and you will preach it. He said, I will do it. He said, the second thing is, is you need to rid yourself of all carnality. You need to rid yourself of every ounce of debris, everything that's blocking me. And my wife and I were in the middle of this, um, uh, in the middle of this show on Netflix that apparently is endorsed by UPC. Okay. And you know, there's no cussing and there's no vulgarity and there's no uh, whatever, all this stuff. But we were watching it and it was like the thing that we did in our free time. This was years ago. And, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you need to rid yourself of that. He said, that has become a distraction. It's not keeping you from being saved. It's keeping you from helping others be saved. It's not keeping you from going to heaven, but it's keeping you from being a vessel, helping others to go to heaven. And see, that's, the, that's the, the, the mentality of being a leader that we've got to have that says, this isn't a heaven or hell issue for me. I'm going to heaven. I passed the first grade. I received the gift of the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. Now it's not about me anymore. Stop asking yourself, well, could I do this and go to heaven? It's not about you anymore. You're saved. It's about others. Can you do that thing and still be a vessel for others to be saved. And God said, get rid of that. So we got rid of that. We canceled the subscription. And literally the moment that night, that Saturday night, when we prayed and we said, we're canceling this in the middle of the season, we don't know what's gonna happen at the conclusion of this episode, who cares? We canceled it. The Holy Ghost fell in our hotel room. The next morning, I preached Acts 2.38 for the first time. And we saw nine 
people filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Nine people filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And from that day, we have seen over 14,000 people filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm not trying to give you numbers to, to brag on anything. I'm telling you what can happen when you make up your mind, God, like Landon said, I have an obstacle here, but I'm going to push through this thing until God uses me. I'm not going to stay back. I'm going to let the Lord use me. I said I was going to close with that. I promise this is the last thing. If you feel like you are lacking in the gifts of the spirit, pray for a burden for lost souls. This is what God showed me. Jesus did not hang on the cross. Remember the cup. The thing that Jesus was insecure about, but overcame that insecurity by saying, God, your will be done and not mine. He overcame that obstacle of insecurity, fear and uncertainty with a burden for souls. Think about it. Mm -hmm. Did Jesus hang on the cross because he had the gift of faith, because he had the discerning of spirits, word of prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, working? Of no, he hung on that cross because he had a burden for lost souls. He accomplished something greater than his physical limitations because he had a burden for lost souls. On the cross, he exemplified the burden for lost souls. When he told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. When he prayed for those who were killing him, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was dying for the sins of humanity. The Lord showed me a vision and, and, and in this vision, there was this body of water. And God said, that body of water represents the gifts of the spirit. And I was standing on the outside. I was standing on the, the, the brink, the border of that water, the bank of that water. And I think, well, I don't have the gifts of the spirit, I guess. And all of a sudden, God just extended this bridge. He erected this bridge from one side of the water to the other side of the water. And God said, get on the bridge, walk the bridge. And I began walking across the bridge. I stood on top of the bridge. And in the vision, the Lord spoke to me and said, anybody that walks this bridge can accomplish what those can do with the gifts of the spirit can do. And I said, God, what is this bridge? What is it? And God said, this bridge is a burden for lost souls. Mm. Beautiful. See, the scripture in Romans 8, it says, um, letting the spirit make intercession with groanings that cannot be uttered. I looked up that word intercession and it the illustration of that word is a bridge, a bridge from one place to another, which means a bridge erected from where the sinner is to where the sinner needs to be. Mm -hmm. From darkness to light, there is a bridge and his name is Jesus. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the bridge from darkness to light, from sin to salvation. And that bridge can be birthed inside of you with a burden for lost souls. The way, and I, I see it every time. When I'm not praying, when I go a week and I've forgotten to pray and, inter, and intercede for lost souls, we see a lower, a lower amount of people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But when I am continually praying with that heartbeat of Jesus Christ, the mind of Jesus Christ, I'm interceding and travailing and speaking in tongues over souls and people that I know and people that I don't know, it is inevitable that I will see people filled with the Holy Ghost wow. that same week. So pray, God, I want... Paul said, desire the gifts of the spirit. Pray, God, give me the gift of faith. Give my youth team the gift of faith, God. Help us to be used in the working of miracles, the laying upon of hands, God. The word of knowledge and wisdom and prophecy, the gifts of the spirit. But don't finish that prayer until you say, God, give us a burden for lost souls, God. Give me a burden for, for this nation. Give me a burden for our neighborhood. Give me a burden, God, for this world, for Africa, for Asia, for Australia, for Europe, God, give me a burden for every man, for every woman, for every child. God, let me love lost souls. Let me hurt and let me grieve for lost souls, God. Save the drug addict. Save the alcoholic. Save the homosexual, God. Save those who are in sexual sin and darkness and confusion, God. Let the heartbeat of souls that you have be inside of my chest, God. Wake me up in the middle of the night. Disturb me in the middle
middle of the day with a burden for lost souls in the name of Jesus. I just want to pray. We're not done. I'm not taking over this, but I just want to pray that God would extend yes. a burden of lost souls yes. over everybody that's listening to this message yes. right now by the authority that's in the word of God and by the power that's in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray a disturbance of a burden for lost souls to wake us up in the middle of the night, to wake us up from our slumber, to wake us up from our spiritual sleep and bring us to our knees, Lord. Bring us to a cross of sacrifice. Bring us to a cross, Lord, where we can lay down our lives for somebody else to be saved. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, help us to overcome our fears, insecurities, and doubts with a burden for lost souls in the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let me just say this. If you saw somebody that you love dying, somebody that you love drowning, would you stand when you have the, the life raft, when you can save them, would you stand there and say, well, I, I'm just not sure if, if I'm good enough to save them. If you saw a child choking on a hot dog, would you sit there and say, I may be the only one that can save them, but you know, I'm just, I may not do it right. I, I, I may look like a fool. Would you let your insecurity stop you? No, your burden for their life would override that insecurity. You would forget about your reputation and say, God, save this soul. I pray that somehow that somebody listening to this will allow that burden of lost souls to supersede that insecurity that you have of your reputation in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name.